0: I want to welcome our guests. Especially, we're glad that you're here. Um, I want to tell you just a little bit about the church so that you have an idea of it. Uh, some of you have seen this church through the years. You've drove by. At one time, it was the Faith Baptist Church, and then the name was changed to Grace Bible Fellowship, and that's what it, we kept that name today. In about Last year, uh, they lost their pastor here, and um, I was asked to come and to pastor the church. I'm running a series called "The Exchange: Life in Christ." My first te- my first fifteen years in the ministry, I was an evangelist out west, and uh, I was very conservative, and still am. My lifestyle, everything else, is still very conservative. But about 15 years ago is when I, maybe a little bit longer now, but is when I first had a change in my theological differences. And that was because I came to a broader and better understanding of the grace of God. Now, the last 15 or 25 years, I should say, there's been much that has been said in the Christian church about grace, more so than ever before. There's more books written on grace today than there ever has been. And um, I, to me, it opened up a whole new life for me. And so I share that life with you through the exchange life in Christ, how one lives out the Christian life. And so... This is our second meeting in the series. And it's going to be on forgiveness and confession, the truth about it. And it may sound a little strange to you at the beginning, but you'll see how it all fits in. The truth about forgiveness and confession. We started our series last week, and I laid down the foundation of the exchange life in Christ. We found that we have, when we have accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, we were born again. But what actually happened when we were born again? What was born again? And we found in Ezekiel 36, 26, it says here, Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Now, Ezekiel was a prophet, and God gave him this vision that one day this would happen. And we know that when Jesus Christ walked in the face of this earth, he said, it's good, he said to his disciples, It's good that I go, because I will send you the comfort of the Holy Spirit. So Ezekiel saw all this thing take place. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Now, this is the exchange life in Christ. This this is this is what has been exchanged. For example, every every single individual who's ever professed to follow Jesus Christ. It opened up their life and asked Christ to come into their life. The Bible says that they were born again. And what actually happened is, Jesus Christ performed surgery on you. He opened you up. He took out that heart of stone and gave you his heart. And then he put the Holy Spirit in you. And so from the very beginning, when you uttered, Yes, Lord, come into my life, whether you were 10 years old or whether you were 80 years old, it doesn't make any difference. At that moment, surgery was done on you. You have a new heart, and that is from your core. You have a new heart, and you have the Holy Spirit living in you. Then we receive the gift of eternal life. Eternal life is a gift. It is not a reward for being good, doing good, It's none of that. It is a gift from God. And your righteousness is a gift from God. So you received that when you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. We exchanged our self life. We were all born in Adam, we were dead in our sins. That's what the Bible says. And then we exchanged that for Christ's life where we were born again and it was this very life, his very life that we received. In Galatians 2.20, the Bible says, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Sometimes that's very difficult to comprehend. Christ lives in me The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. So, we now have Christ through the Holy Spirit living in us. At our deepest core, we do not desire to sin. We have Christ's life in us. We do sin, but it's not our desire to sin because we have been born again. We were born sinners, and we had nothing to do with it. We were given the gift of righteousness, and we had nothing to do with it. I remember when I accepted Jesus Christ, I just got discharged from the Marine Corps. I'd been out just a few months. And I found myself in a situation where I knew that I needed something, my head was going crazy, uh, and I had to, I knew that if there was a God, that's, that's what I needed, I guess. And so when I asked God to come into my life, I found myself going to a church, and I found myself going forward in an altar call, giving my life to Christ. Now, it was nothing that I did. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says, has been poured out upon all flesh. And the Holy Spirit pleads with us. He tries to guide us, counsel us, lead us. And that's exactly what he did. And I found Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. Last week, we, uh, we found out that, that we are secure and safe in Christ. We discovered... That Satan's deception to Adam is the same deception that we face today. It is absolutely no difference. You see, Adam was created perfect. He was created with the indwelling spirit in him. So God created man to be inhabited by God for God. That's how man was created. Adam was perfect in every respect. But Satan told him a lie. The day you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. Now, the Bible says that Adam was created in the likeness of God. So he was already like God. He was created in the likeness of God. He had the Holy Spirit living in him. And what is Satan's lie today to the Christian? That you are not who God says you are. So what we, last week we discovered the problem. It's all about believing what God says is true about you and me and about him. So the same deception and now we come to the place where whether we're going to believe God or not. Our message this morning is going to challenge it's going to challenge our belief system because it's a truth about forgiveness and confession. And for the next 4 weeks every week will challenge your belief system, I assure you. So I'm going to lay down the foundation for our subject this morning. In 1 Corinthians 1.30, it says this, By his doing, not ours, but by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Now, I'm sure if you've been a Christian for a few years, you have read that text And you probably haven't stopped to really examine that scripture. But the Bible says it was by his doing. Remember one thing. When it comes to God, God is always the initiator. We are the responder. God always initiates. We love God because he first loved us. The Holy Spirit has been poured out upon all flesh. He has appealed to us. And those of us that are here this morning, we have accepted that. And we were born again. And he became to us wisdom. And then he gave us his righteousness and sanctification. Sanctification means that you were set aside for holy use. And then he gave us redemption. He saved us. We are saved. And we're saved forever. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, the Bible says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things pass away. Behold, new things have come. Now, the question is, do we actually believe that the old has gone and the new has come? Do we really believe it? Because there's a lot of Christians that are being tormented with the idea that, yes, they believe that they are born again and they believe that They want to do what's right. And then there's this other nature that they feel that they have that wants to do wrong. And that is wrong, wrong, wrong. That is not right. The old has gone, the Bible says, and the new has come. You are a new you. Because deep in your core, you have a new heart. You have the Holy Spirit. And you don't want to sin. Do you sin? Yes. But do you want to sin? Not at the core. And that's why Paul said in Romans 7. He says I don't understand what I do. He says all these thoughts that come through my head, I don't understand. The, the things I know I shouldn't do, I do. But then you'll notice what he says. He steps back and he says, "But it's not me. It's sin that dwells in me. It's not me," he said. From his deepest core, when you sin, it's not you. It's not you. It's sin that dwells within our bodies. And then in John 5, 24, it says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. When did you receive eternal life? The moment that you said yes to Christ. We're not waiting until we die to have eternal life. We're experiencing it right now. Now, it's a far cry for what heaven is going to be. I'll grant that. But the Bible says to us that when you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you received the gift of eternal life. Now, we all have eternal life right now. It does, and, and notice what it says, and does not come into judgment. Do you know how many millions of Christians who believe that when they die, they're going to appear before the great white right throne judgment bar of God, and they're going to have to give an account? No. The Bible says, and does not come into judgment. The Christian does not come into the judgment bar of God, but has passed out of death into life. What does that mean? That we have passed through the judgment. Now, I'll be speaking on the judgment the last, the last week of the series. And we're going to talk about Revelation 20, the, the great white, white throne of judgment. But you'll notice here, the Bible says that when you accept him, when you believe in him, you are given the gift of eternal life. You pass through the judgment. There is no judgment for the Christian. How do I know that? Well, listen to what Romans 8 once says. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If there is no condemnation, there is no judgment. The judgment is only for the wicked, it is not for the Christian. So, when it comes to forgiveness, we have mixed messages throughout the Christian church. Some believe that there is some heavenly scorekeeping being done up in heaven. You sin, and it's written down your sin. And then when you confess it, it's erased. Now there are some people who believe that when you sin against God, you are out of fellowship until you confess that sin. Well, is that the truth? Is that really it? You mean is forgiveness, is that is that because we confess? and then it's blotted out, wiped away clean? So we're going to find out what the truth is. Forgiveness becomes crystal clear when we understand God's economy of sin. In the Old Testament, it was the blood of bulls and goats that covered their sin. The Bible calls it the atonement. In Hebrews 9.22, the Bible says this, And according to the law, one may almost say, all things are cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Now, that's God's economy of forgiveness. It takes the shedding of blood. And it's the same today. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. It's the same, very same thing. It takes blood to forgive sin. So for many Christians who think that he needs more forgiveness for his sins than with Jesus Christ already provided at the cross, what would have to happen? Well, Jesus would have to die again. Blood sacrifice is the only action that results in the forgiveness And cleansing of an individual. And so here's the problem. Many have been taught. And I taught it too. Many. Have heard that forgiveness. And cleansing. Comes from a work that we initiate. And then God responds. And that's not how it works in the Bible. God always initiates. Then we respond. So, we initiate through what? Well, through remembering, confessing, asking, claiming. Do you see it? It becomes our responsibility now. Once again, we become that initiator with God. And God is the responder, and that is not the way it works. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Our asking is, Our pleading with God, that is not not what God wants for us to have our sins forgiven. If you have been taught all your life that forgiveness is you confessing or going to a confessional booth or responding to an altar call, don't expect that habit to disappear overnight. It took me years. The more you grow in the understanding of what Christ accomplished for you on the cross, you'll realize that there is no longer any meaning to some of these rituals. Jesus isn't dying daily. So we aren't being forgiven daily, little by little. In Hebrews 9.24, it says this, For Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. And you'll notice in verse 25, nor was it that he would offer himself often as the high priest enters the holy place year by year with blood that is not his own. Now you'll notice in verse 26. Otherwise, he would have needed to offer often. He would have to suffer often, excuse me, since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the consummation of the ages, he he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. In the Old Testament, the sacrificial system covered sin. It never took it away. But here it says that he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once and after this comes the judgment. The judgment comes to who? To the wicked. And so the Bible says here in verse 28, so Christ also, having been offered once, to bear the sins of many will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin. Now, those of you that have been attending this fellowship, you've heard me say over and over and over again, there is nobody that is going to be lost because of sin. The only way that a person can be lost is through unbelief, not sin. The sin issue was settled at Calvary. 2,000 years ago. And notice here, will appear the second time for salvation without reference to sin. He does not hold our sins against us to those who eagerly await him. And that is you and I. And so the Bible is very clear. No more blood will be shed for sin. In Hebrews 7.27, who does not need daily like those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people? Because this he did once for all. He only went to the cross one time for the sins of the world, the Bible says. But he did this once for all when he offered up himself. The Bible is very plain. Your sins are forgiven before you can even utter anything that has to do with that sin. The sin has been taken care of. You are home free. Sin will not keep anyone out of heaven. Now, I know that many people think that's a dangerous doctrine. That's a dangerous doctrine. It's almost licensed to sin. But it's not and you'll see it. But let me say this, the the cross is a dividing line of human history. When you look 2,000 years back and then you look 2,000 plus years forward, all sin has been forgiven. All sin. The sacrifice for sin means we're forgiven once for all. Hebrews reveals that even those those sacrifices that were carried out day after day, year after year, they could not take away the sins of the world. And so Jesus said, when John the Baptist was there, he, he saw Jesus coming towards him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. If you are born again, you live in a forgiven state. In John 2, 12. It says, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. John John 2.12. And so here it is. It's past tense. Your sins have have been forgiven for you for his name's sake. And then in Ephesians 4.32, it says this, be kind to one another tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. It's all past tense. You have been forgiven. You are forgiven. The message of our complete forgiveness in Christ is crystal clear. Well, if it's so clear, if you say it's crystal clear, if it's so clear, why do so many people not believe it? It's because of one text in the Bible. 1 John 1.9. Now, when you read 1 John 1.9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, you say to yourself, well, there it is. It's pretty plain. If we confess our sins. So what happens if you don't confess your sins? Well, there's a lot of theories about that, too. But it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when we read it, we think, well, maybe there's something to that. But it's interesting as you study the New Testament. After Jesus Christ was crucified, there is no reference, no reference at all, except for this one text, that we need to confess our sins. Now let me tell you, as a born-again Christian, it's only natural when we commit sin that we get it off our chest. It's only natural for us to confess it. But the point is that confession doesn't take away sin. It's only the blood that takes away sin. And so, after reading 1 John 1:9, it seems like that there is a condition for forgiveness and that would be to confess. So the first question that we ask, need to ask, I know as an evangelist, I had to be very careful that I didn't try to prove anything with just one text. You can't do that really. Um, you just can't pull out one text, for example, A lot of people, when they read uh, what Jesus taught, sometimes you've heard me uh, refer to as red-letter Christians. Some people, there's been a movement now, and it's still very strong in Europe, that they want to read everything that Jesus said. They want to follow everything that Jesus said to follow. And you have to be careful with that. Because Jesus says that if your right eye offend you, pluck it out. If your right hand cut it off. Now, that's what Jesus said, but is that what Jesus meant? No, no. When you study that, you find out that's not what he meant at all, but that's what he said. And so a lot of people, when they go to the Bible, they they quote a scripture, but you have to ask yourself, is that what the scripture means, or is that simply what the scripture said? But what does it really mean? And so when you have only one text in the New Testament after the crucifixion that pertains to forgiveness of sin, we need to look at that text very carefully. We need to find out what John meant by that and whom was he speaking to. And so from the beginning of 1 John in in chapter 1 we can find some clues to what he meant and who he was speaking to. In 1 John 1, 3, the Bible says this. We proclaim what we have seen and heard. Now, John is speaking to a group of people out here, and he says, what we have seen and heard. He was referring to Jesus Christ, what we have seen of him, what we have heard of him. We proclaim to you also that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So here it is. Here's our first clue. He says here, so that you too may have fellowship with us. He was speaking to people who did not have fellowship with the Christians. So who was he speaking to? He, there was a, a, a group called the Gnostics in John's day, and they were teaching They were trying to convert Christians into their line of thinking. And so there's some things that they did not believe. And obviously, this was one. He says, so you too may have fellowship with us. Indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We have heard him. We have seen him. And then he says in verse 8, he says, if we say that we have no sin... We are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now all of us know that before an individual receives Jesus Christ as the personal Savior, the first thing that they do is acknowledge that they're a sinner. We are born sinners. We sin before we know, even know what sin is. I remember, I had two sons at the time, and The the younger son Matthew he took a toy away from his brother Gary, and we didn't teach him to do this. He was he was just three years old and Matthew was two, and he hit Matthew. It's sin that is within us. We sin before we know what sin is. We are born sinners, and that's why the Bible says we must be born again. We must be reborn and have the Spirit of God living in us. And so we claim that if we're without sin, we are deceived. We have deceived ourselves and the truth is not in us. And notice what he says in 1 John 4, 2. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, is from God. Now, every single one of us, born-again Christians, we know that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. We know that. And so John is explaining to this group two very important facts. One is, you cannot claim to be without sin and that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. The Gnostics, they claim that God Would never stoop so low as to take on human flesh. In fact, they claim that Jesus lacked a physical body. They believe that all matter is evil, that only spirit is good. Therefore, Jesus couldn't have come into flesh because flesh is matter. And so they concluded that Jesus was an illusion. And that's why John started out by saying, we have seen him, we have heard him, he's not an illusion. Today, we find these doctrines being taught today in the Christian Scientist and other metaphysical churches. A pastor friend of mine who has quite a sense of humor, he said about, he gave an illustrated story of a boy who came home one day and said to his modern Gnostic mother, Hey, Mom," he said. "Did you know that Mr. Jones, his neighbor, is sick?" And his mother said, "Now, no, son, that, that's not true. He just thinks he's sick. He's not sick. He just thinks he's sick." The next day, the boy came home and from playing outside again, and he said, "Mom, Mr. Jones is really sick." And she said, No, no, son. He just thinks he's really sick. The following day, the boy came home and called out to his mom. He says, Hey, mom, Mr. Jones thinks he's dead. Yeah, he died. And so the Gnostics had this, the, same, the same theory the Gnostics did not believe that they had a sin nature. They were without sin. And what did Paul say? If you say that you're without sin, you are a liar and the truth is not in you. And so John is politely saying that if anyone claims to have sin, no way. The message was for unbelievers, not for believers. First John was written for unbelievers and some believers who were buying in to what the Gnostics were teaching. Remember, the misapplication of 1 John 1 9 will result in us continually, continually working in vain for something we already have. This, to me, when I read 1 John 1 9, is a wonderful passage for salvation but we have mistakenly used it as the Christian bar of soap to clean ourselves. We confess, we feel clean. The truth is we've already been cleansed once and for all, according to the Bible. The meaning of confession is to say the same as or to agree with God. Believers should agree with God on all accounts, Not just about sin, but about everything. We will spend the rest of our lives agreeing with God about sin. It is not profitable. It is not good. It causes nothing but pain, guilt, and more guilt. When we do sin, we are going against the very nature, our new nature. We are a new you. And we're going against our nature whenever we sin. Now, when we do sin, and all of us do, it's interesting that you'd think that out of all the preachers through the years that have studied all the Greek and the Hebrew and everything else, you think that somebody might have accomplished it and found perfection. But nobody has. Because of the power of sin that dwells in us. I think that most of us have all experienced it. Not too long ago, I sat in my home, and I turned on some nice classical music, and I was listening to that music. And I was thinking about how wonderful God was. And then all of a sudden, a bad thought came through my mind. And I thought, where did that come from? Where did that come from? And I felt a little bit how Paul must have felt. It's not me. It's the power of sin that dwells in me. So we're going to fight this battle all of our life. And that's why Jesus said, when I come back, I'm going to give you a new new body to match that already perfect heart that you have. I gave you a new heart with a new spirit. You are beautiful on the inside the inside in your core you do not desire to sin do you sin yes whenever you listen to the flesh we do but it we can rest in the fact of what god said in second corinthians 5:19 and the bible is very plain namely that god was in the christ god was in christ reconciling the world to himself not Counting their trespasses against them. Not counting their sins against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. We serve an awesome God. He does not hold our sins against us. He he created us. He created us with a vacuum. And that vacuum was filled when we opened our life and said, Yes, Lord Jesus, come into my life. I desire you to have my, my life is not working. Come into my life. And when he came in, he gave you that new heart, that new spirit, and in his eyes, you're as perfect as you'll ever be. You can't get any more perfect than what you are at this very moment. God loves you and accepts you just the way you are. The entire New Testament deals with the completed work on the cross. And yet we, by taking one verse, 1 John 1, 1.9, by taking one verse, we misapply it. We negate the primary principle and message of the whole New Testament. The Christian tells the Israelites, you no longer have to anno." you don't have to offer animal sacrifices anymore. And so the Protestant tells the Catholic, you don't have to confess to a priest. You can go directly to God. And the God in heaven is saying to all of us, it is finished. When Jesus Christ was hanging on the cross, he said, it is. Is finished. What is finished? The sin issue. He died for the sins of the world. Your sin is forgiven whether you confess that sin or not. It's all been taken care of. Jesus' blood paid the penalty for all sin. Now, true biblical confession is agreeing with God. I can only tell you how it works for me. Years ago, when God showed and demonstrated this truth to me, it was hard for me to wrap myself around it. Because prior to that, I can't tell you how many times that because of circumstances, because of my life and everything, I think I have asked God to forgive me probably a thousand times for the same sin that I had committed. Every time it it would come into my mind, I would say, God, please forgive me. And it was like, I didn't believe God forgave me. I kept on asking him to forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. And I think that most of us have gone through this. We have asked God to forgive us over and over again. And yet we're told that not only has he forgiven us our sins, not only did he bury them into the depths of the sea, but he remembers them no more. He remembers them no more. It's over. It's over. True biblical confession is agreeing with God. So this is how it works for me today. When I listen to my flesh and I sin, this is how it goes through my head. I go, oh, Lord, how stupid am I anyway? How stupid am I? But I just want to thank you that you took care of this 2,000 years ago. And I praise you for it and thank you for it And this is what confession should do. It should lead us back to the cross. It should lead us back to the cross and we should exercise our thankfulness to the Lord Jesus Christ for dying on the cross for the sins of the world. He Died for the sins of the world. No one will be lost because of sin. It will be because of unbelief. We all believe that we are saved by grace. But there is much more to it than that. Listen to Titus 2, 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men. So what brings us to salvation? The grace of God. That's what brings us to salvation. And now notice this in verse 12. Instructing us. The grace of God us. It instructs us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. So what does? Grace. Now, I know that there is a a very popular belief today. Some believe that if you teach too much grace... You'll give Christians license to sin. And I remember 15 years ago, or no, 18 years ago, when people came up to me and they said, Pastor, we're afraid that you preach too much grace and you're giving people license to sin. And my remark to them is, so far, nobody's needed a license. They're doing pretty well themselves the way they're going. They don't need a license. The Bible tells us that grace does just the opposite of that accusation. It not only leads us to salvation, it instructs us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and live righteously because you've been given the gift of righteousness. You've been saved by grace. Grace living is also grace giving. We don't put any laws on giving. No laws at all. Grace living is grace giving. Grace upon grace upon grace. Romans 6.14, excuse me. Romans 6.14, For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. It's a beautiful thing. In the beginning of the Christian church, in Acts, in Acts 2.38, the Bible says this. Peter said to them, repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, in verse 39, the Bible says this. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. So what is the true meaning of repentance? I don't know how many times I've heard people say about other people in the church, maybe they're caught up in something that they shouldn't be in, and they would say, well, that person needs to Repent. And what they mean by repenting is to turn around, do 180 degree, turn around. Repentance in the Bible is associated with salvation. But once we've repented by turning from our unbelief to believing and receiving Christ, we can't re-repent. Because, really, repentance is changing our mind about the gospel. Repentance is changing our mind about Christ. When John the Baptist was preaching, he was preaching to the Jewish people. They they were very proud at the way they kept the law. And John the Baptist was saying, repent. Change your mind about God. And that's what we have today. We need to change our mind about God. The Bible says that the old has gone, the new has come. When will we believe it? We have a problem. Christians get confused about forgiveness, confession, repentance, because they're allowing their feeling to dictate their theology. When I list the things about who God says we are, God says that we are perfect, And in Hebrews, God says that we are complete in him. God says all these wonderful things about us. You are perfect. Well, do you feel perfect? No. Do you act perfect? No. No, because of the flesh. Because sin dwells within the flesh. But are you perfect? Yes. Yes, you are. In your deepest core, you have God's heart. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. And yes, from the deepest core you are. But do you feel it? No. Do you act it? Not all the time. Are you? Yes. Christ says, when I come back, I will give you a new body to match your already. He doesn't say he's going to give us a new heart. He gave us that when we accepted him as our personal saviour. Faith is a response to God's truth. It's simply believing what God says is true about you. You are who God says you are. You're not who you think you are. You are who God says you are. And that's the beautiful and wonderful message of the gospel. The gospel means good news. To the average Christian out there, it's not good news. They don't know who they are. The Bible says that you are a child of God. When you fully embrace that, when you fully accept that, you will act like a child of God. Not all the time because of the flesh, but most of the time you'll act it. That's the wonderful news about the exchanged life in Christ. You have actually exchanged your life in Adam to the life in Christ. Christ dwells in you. You are everything that God says you are. The Bible says that you are blameless, and it's true. The Bible says you are complete, and it's true. The Bible says you are perfect forever, forever. And it's true. Everything that God says is true. It's my prayer that as we live our life continually praising God for what he has done for us, our lives will be transformed. I know that there are some that may still have some questions about this. Next week, when I talk about Christians Do You Know? We will unlock questions that you may have had most of your Christian life about sin and about the process of living out the Christian life. You see, there is a process. It's not as simple as we think it is in some ways. There's a process that we go through life with Christ living in us. His whole desire is for, he, for him to live in us and live through us. That is the exchanged life in Christ, that God is in us and his only desire, he only needs our permission to live his life through us. And next week, I'll explain that process and, and how it works. We're glad that you're here. We hope that you'll come again. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you for all the blessings that you have given to us. We're thankful for the reality and the truth that sets us free, knowing that we are everything you want us to be. Oh, yes, we still have a great deal of learning to to go through, to understand you, but it's getting clearer and clearer. We're connecting the dots. Just what a wonderful God that that we serve. Now, I pray that you'll bless us and meet the needs that each one of us have. Watch over us and take care of us. And continue to lead us into all truth, as you have promised. For we ask it all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.